We're going to turn in our Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians. Now, Stephen uh, had asked me a while back about coming along, and he uh, gave me a fair amount of discretion, but asked me to touch a little on the call of God. And I've been actually listening recently to some of the messages that were preached uh, by Marie McCarroll and Tommy Shaw and Colwell Dara and a few others, and uh, was really blessed uh, by them, not only through what I heard, but in many years gone by through each of their lives uh, have been such a blessing in, into my life. Uh, so we're going, to, we're going to read together uh, from Ephesians and chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and let's do it in an Irish manner. We'll do it back to front. We'll go to chapter 2 first, and then we'll go back to chapter 1. Let me see. There used to be a, an Ephesians in my Bible. I don't know where it has gone to. Here we find it. So let's read from chapter 2, a familiar passage of Scripture, chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, or we are God's project. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now hold your Bible and we're going to have a prayer and then we're going to read two other verses from Galatians and then we'll be speaking. Let's unite in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight and to share thy word. We thank thee that the entrance of your word giveth light, and we pray that you will bless your word. And I ask, Lord, as I give myself unconditionally to you, that you would cleanse and sanctify me. I pray that the Holy Spirit would take complete control. I ask, Lord, that you would work in all our lives. And I pray that tonight people would sense and feel and know that God is speaking to them. Loving Father, we take authority over the enemy, and we pray that you will seal us in with your presence and your power. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The next verse I want to read is found in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and the verse 4. The Apostle Paul was writing to a church. It was just a home. For the first 300 years of the church, there was no buildings like this. The first 300 years they met in homes. There were no buildings. That was the way it was done. And one of the things just in the passing that always troubled me and concerned me as to why in every generation it seems that Preachers and pastors share and they say, make sure that you live in harmony with one another and you love one another. It just seems impossible to get it to work in church, doesn't it? Every church seems to have squabbles and fights and divisions. That's always been a problem. No matter what, it seems to happen. 
But then when you understand that the early church was in homes, they were small groups, and the groups had a deep connection to each other. They fellowshiped, they ate together, they prayed together, they prayed for one another. There wasn't the same possibility of conflict among them. They were like a wee family. One of the reasons. I'm not here to advocate that you close the church and go to all your homes, but I'm just pointing something out. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. And he's thanking God for these people who have come to Christ. And this is a wonderful epistle, so much in it. But in relation to the call of God, I want to lay a foundation that's very, very important. In chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul, writing to these Christians, said, According as God hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. The Bible tells us in the book of Job that whenever God created this earth, that the angels rejoiced. It was a wonderful event in heaven. But before that happened, this verse tells me that I was in God's heart. That's hard to grasp, but that's what the Bible says. If God is infinite, if God is all-powerful, Then God knew all about me and you before the foundation of the world. So we're not just statistics. We're not just kind of happened. We're not insignificant. But God knew us. He knew our lives, our spirits, which he gave us, at conception, he gave us our eternal spirit that would live forever. But God knew about that before the world was created. Isn't that wonderful that God knew all about that in the past? We'll turn over with me now back to chapter 2. And we're going to read verse 7 now. Let's read verse 6 for connection. And God hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, that means the eternal ages. No time, no period by way of limitation, just eternal ages that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. What does that mean? 
That means not only did God know all about me before the earth was created, but God has plans for me in the ages to come. That's heaven we're talking about. And God already has planned for heaven for me. Not just the first period in heaven, but the ages to come. And God's plan in heaven is that he's going to forever reveal his grace. The unmerited love of God is going to flow into my life for all God's eternity. And when we get to heaven and we meet people, people we knew on earth, loved ones, relatives that were in Christ, for all eternity as we travel through that city and eventually come back to the earth and heaven then comes down on earth, we'll be meeting others and talking to others and the theme of our conversation will be how good God has been to us. The ages to come. My dear friends, this period that we call life on earth is nothing but a boot camp. It's just preparation for the world to come. Now, God's knowledge is so vast into the past. His blessings prepared go into the ages of the future. And then in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, he said to him, do you not know that the very hairs on your head are numbered by God? Now, when you comb your hair, no matter how you do, one or two will come out. What that means is God is constantly keeping knowledge of the hairs on our head. This God has infinite power, infinite knowledge, infinite grace, infinite love. That's my foundation. Forty years ago, I went to a mission. I heard the gospel. I come under conviction of sin. I invited Jesus Christ to come into my life. And I was born again. And I really can honestly say I've never been the same since. My life was completely changed. And I am so thankful to God for all the great privileges that I have received in life. There's many things where I'm not as good, not as bright, not as wealthy, not as capable as other people. But one thing God blessed me and blessed me in my early years was I was constantly 
in the atmosphere, whether by conversation or church or Christians, the gospel was continually before me. And I'm so grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. Now, without going into all the initial details, for I want to speak more tonight on the call of God. And don't worry, I'm not going to be really lengthy, I promise you. But after my conversion, I didn't know what I needed to do other than I knew I wanted to follow Jesus. And in that prayer, when I came to Christ, I specifically asked him, Lord, help me to be the Christian that you want me to be. And I had every intention in my heart to be the Christian God would want me to be. But I discovered very quickly that there were still things badly wrong inside me. I had this sin nature. The flesh was still there. And it showed its head, and boy, was I disappointed. And so I had to learn to come back to God and use that bar of soap mentioned in 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And many times I have had as a Christian to take that bar of soap in 1 John 1 and 9 and apply it to my life. But the wonderful thing is God is good and God forgives and God loves us. And you know, friends, when we feel the Lord and we do, we sometimes can feel there's no way back. There's no way forward for me. I want to tell you, dear friend, when the night you got saved, God forgave you an ocean of sin. And God will not drop you when you fall into a stream. God has dealt with the ocean and he'll help you through any other waterway of failure you have to go through. Well, I joined a little assembly that was brethren, and I'm grateful in, in uh, looking back for those people, and uh, they were good, and the Bible says that we have to fellowship with the Lord's people and, and not to forsake the uh, coming together and sharing and fellowshipping. And so very quickly, I began to fellowship with this people and other Christians, and then I was told that I needed to go to the prayer meeting, and I did that. And I went most weeks, if I can recall, but I have to confess that the prayer meetings weren't really the most invigorating. Let's put it, that's the best way. But, but I went along anyway, and uh, I enjoyed going. I enjoyed the company of God's people. Some of them were in their 80s. Some of them were in their 60s. Some of them were in their 70s. It really didn't matter to me. It really didn't matter. I just knew that they loved the Lord, and the same spirit that was now in me sensed the same spirit that was in them, and I wanted to be with them. I began to go to other prayer meetings, one in a home, the late Sam, Sammy Thompson, had a prayer meeting every week, and he also had a Sunday night meeting in his home. And I see Doris Hobson here tonight, and I'm almost certain it was Doris. I, I, I'm 99% sure it was Doris. That one night in one of those meetings, I think she gave me a tape. She'll maybe correct me going out, but I think she did. It was a little box 
And on the front of it was Lewis, Land of Revival. And I brought that little tape home, and I began to listen to it. And I heard about the great revival that happened in the Isle of Lewis. It had a stirring effect on me. It really had a stirring effect on me. I was quite blown away to hear the things that God could do when God was at work. It really, it really moved me as a young Christian. And I can remember thinking that it would be wonderful to see God doing things like that today. I was only in my early 20s, not even that. And so I was getting information about the subject of revival, but the other thing that was going on was that there was deep and catastrophic failure inside my own life. And I was trying desperately to live a good Christian life, but it just wasn't working for me. And I was very discouraged. I was almost ready to give up, and, and Sam, Sammy Thompson encouraged me to go to a prayer meeting. And I went along to that prayer meeting, and that was the, one of the first times I ever met Bertie. And I went along to these prayer meetings, and there were several men there, a lady or two, and, and they were praying for a mission. And, and what I felt was this sense of God that I didn't feel in our, our church prayer meeting. And I remember thinking, I, I really like this. I really like that presence. Because it reminded me of the presence that was in the mission where I got converted. You see, my dear friends, it's one of the evidences of the reality of God that there's such a thing as a conscious sense of the presence of God where you can go into an environment and you can feel, you can feel that the atmosphere is charged with something that's that's heavenly, something that's very holy and clean, something that's very pure, something that's very encompassing, the presence of God. And I felt that in the prayer meeting, and so, so I decided to keep going back. And during that period of going back, in my deep discouragement, I began to pray about my life a lot, God began to show me, and I'm not going to go into the details for I've given my testimony on this before, but God began to show me so many areas of my life that had never been given to the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that I was forgiven, certainly I was a child of God, I was going to heaven, but there were so many areas of my life that I had plans for, and I didn't have room for God in those areas. And the Holy Spirit began to really knock at the door of my life as a Christian and began to say, would you let me in? And over time, I began to not only recognize that voice, but I began to respond in my heart to that voice. And I began to say, Lord, yes, that is what I want to do. I want to yield myself to you. But I was afraid. I didn't know what that would mean. I didn't know what would happen in my life if I gave my life to God. God might make me a missionary. God might send me to China, and I wasn't that fond of rice at that time, and I'm still not. 
I didn't know what God would do. It was pretty reckless. You see, Christianity, true biblical Christianity, is the most reckless. It's way beyond any religion. It's literally taking up the cross and dying to yourself so that God can live through you. And Jesus invited me to come to the cross, and by his grace, I yielded and yielded. And, and there came a day, a day when I honestly bowed, and I said, Lord, I give you my all. I give you my all. I'm, I'm giving my life 100% to you, whatever you want to do with it. I, I, that's what I want to do, Lord. Because although I was quite young, I already had experienced brokenness in my health. And I also realized, even as a young person, that life is brief. And as someone reminded me during the week, we were talking about the brevity of life, and the man turned around to me and he said, look at that wee puff of smoke coming out of the kettle. And it just came out and it was gone. And the Bible says that's what our life is. It is just a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then it vanishes away. The Bible says, He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's no one else abides forever. Only he or her that does the will of God abides forever. And I made decisions in my young heart. I weighed up the price, and I encourage you tonight to weigh up the price. Listen, I'm not accountable to you, and you're not accountable to me. We're all accountable to the Lord. But, but I, had to, I had to sit down and count the cost, as Jesus said. Count the cost. And I said, Lord, I have counted it, and I have made my decision. I'm going to follow you. And just like Ruth, whenever Naomi, her mother-in-law, said, you go back to your own gods, you go back to the Moabites, you go back to the old country with your sister-in-law, go back with her, Orphra. And I love the words of Ruth. She said, your God will be my God. She said, where you go, I'll go. Where you die and are buried, there I will be buried. And she committed her life to following the Lord and going back to Bethlehem. She never deviated. And you have to count the cost, child of God. Which will I choose? And God gave me the grace at that time to say, I'll follow the Lord. Whenever I yielded myself to God, I invited the Holy Spirit as I had read and heard that if I invited the Holy Spirit to come and fill me at that stage, that he would help me where I hadn't had help before. And that's exactly what happened. I received help. I got help from the Holy Spirit. I got help in prayer. I got a burden, as the old prophets in the Bible talked about, the burden of the Lord. And, and God began to lay things on my heart that I knew weren't from me. I knew they didn't originate in me. I knew after certain years of being a Christian, this was entirely different to my previous experience as a Christian. But what had happened was just God had got into my life in a deeper way. 
God had got rooms of my life that I had never yielded to him before. And I began to sense the change. Now that brings me to the point Whereas I was seeking God, and during all this period, I was still going to these prayer meetings. You know, friends, when the Holy Spirit is working in your life, when God is working in your life, it is such a precious thing. And you become oblivious to the world around you. You become oblivious to what other people are saying or doing. You really don't care because it's a bit like David when, when his, his wife said of David, he said, she said, let your life be bound together in the bundle of life with the Lord your God. And there's such a thing as being bound together in the bundle of life with the Lord your God. And I, can have, I would have to say, that period in my life was literally, to me, heaven on earth. It was heaven on earth. I could pray without ceasing. Many times I went out to the farm at 12 o'clock at night and I could have walked round the fields on a sunlight or a, a moonlit night and prayed for hours and it was no problem because I was feeling and sensing the power of the Holy Spirit. Just in case you get it wrong and think that I'm some super Christian, get that out of your head. I'm just an ordinary person, just like you, no different. All I'm telling you tonight is that I obeyed the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit began to do things by His power in my life. And when he did, I knew it, and I felt it, and I sensed it. You see, my dear friends, whenever God was working like that in my life, I was aware of what we could call the supernatural, the supernatural. And the call of God when it's upon a man or a woman, it is always the supernatural. The call of God is something that you cannot explain. If anybody got up or tried to explain to me, and they could tell me all about the call of God in their life, I would know that they weren't called. If you could tell me all about it, then you're not called. Because there's always an undercurrent of the supernatural that is totally inexplicable. You can't explain it. But you feel it. And I felt an inward pressure. Something I wasn't attempting to do, something I wasn't thinking of doing, but there was like an unconscious drawing to one thing. And that was to follow the Lord and to serve the Lord. I wanted to do the Lord's will in my life. I wanted to serve him, but let me tell you something. In those days, I worked here in the early days of the work here. 
And I can remember meeting for prayer with a young man. And we used to meet in the old, old hall every Saturday night. And I can remember we would have conversations. He was brought up on the farm. And he used to sit, we'd have a chat, and then we'd pray for the Sunday night meeting. And he used to say to me, I want God to call me to the work. And boy, he would get down his knees, and he would cry to God. Boy, he would cry to God. Lord, bring me into the work. Call me to the faith mission. I remember sitting on my knees beside him and thinking, oh, thank God you're praying. I'm not praying that. I have, I have no desire to do that at all. I have no desire for any. I don't want to preach. I don't want to be in the ministry. I'm very happy to stand back and to help those who are in, in the flow. I'll stand with them. I'll pray with them. That's what I want to do. But I don't want to be, I don't want to be called to the ministry. Do you know what happened? That fellow wasn't called to the ministry. And I was. Sometimes people can want to be into the ministry for the wrong reasons. My dear friend, you have to be supernaturally called by God. And one of the memories I have Whenever I felt the call of God and I began to realize that something was happening, is that not only did I feel this inward pressure toward yielding myself to the ministry or to God's work in some way, in a fuller way, but there was also this deep yearning to serve. It wasn't from me now, but a deep yearning to serve. And things began to happen. I began to get dreams. Let me tell you one in particular. Praying all the time for God's will. Not particularly driven to want to go to the work, but willing to go, providing it was God's will. But I had absolutely no intention of going unless God made it 100% clear. Do you know I love the story of Elijah? When Elijah stood before the old prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 17 and 18, it says that whenever he called on them to put an animal on the altar and they were to cry for fire from heaven to find out who was the true God, they did it and they cut themselves with knives to the evening time and their God, Baal, didn't answer. Well, I love what this man did. If it had been me, I would have been going forward and putting a wee bit of straw around it. And I would maybe have had a lighter in my back pocket. I would have done everything in my power naturally to give, it, give God a wee hand. Give God a wee hand. But he built up the altar and he took the beast and he, he killed the beast. And then he took water and there was no water in the country. And he took the water and he poured it over the beast. And then he took another one and poured it over the beast and into a wee trough. And then he poured another one in and the whole thing was saturated. He made it as hard as he could for God. He made it as hard as he could. You can do that with God. You can do that with God. And I'm glad that I did that. I didn't want to be in the Lord's work if the Lord never called me. Imagine being in a pulpit in the ministry and God never called you. I tell you, my dear friends, tonight, 
there are people in evangelical churches tonight in pulpits, and they're not called by God. They've been called by the church. They've went through the Bible college. They were not called by God. It's one of the reasons why there's great death in the pulpit and death in the pew. One of the reasons. Well, he made it hard. I began to feel this pull toward the faith mission. And circumstances turned, but just prior to that, let me tell you about the dream. Just to give you a little uh, illustration. I had a dream. It was more a nightmare, to be honest with you, that I was in a Bible college. And I knew the dream was from God. You can have dreams from God. And I knew the dream was from God. And I'd never really had one. And I'll tell you how I knew it was from God. Because the next day, it was as clear as crystal in my mind. And it wouldn't leave me. It wouldn't leave me. The thoughts were so strong. It was just like God was pumping this at me. And I knew in my heart that God was speaking to me. And I said, God... If you want me to do that, you'll have to make it very clear to me. Because, as I say, I believed in pouring a bit of water on it. I wasn't being rebellious. I just wanted it to be clear. And that night, I came to the prayer meeting on a Thursday night in the wee hall up here. And Sister Pat was at the door. She said to me, Alan, we were just searching through the house here today or yesterday. And I found a wee document... And I just said, Lord, I'll give that. I think it was either to me or to another man, whoever I see first. And she gave it to me. And do you know what it was? A prospectus for the Bible college I had had the nightmare about the night before. If the nightmare was bad enough, my friends, now when I was awake, it was getting worse. Oh, God can speak to you. But God called me and I decided I would go to the mission and I went to the faith mission. But I want to say this because it's not only for those in the congregation, but for those who are listening online. It's very important. One of the things I'll always be grateful for was Brother Bertie. I went to see him in his study at the time when I was going to the faith mission. He brought me into his study in Armagh. And of course, in his own inimitable way, he said to me, you're having a wonderful time now and people will give you money and people will have all these eulogies about how good you are that you're going to the Lord's work and you'll be just going on the crest of the wave and you'll get to your wee college and he said, you'll have your uniform on and, you'll, and he said, you'll, it's wonderful. I knew that there was going to come something not as good in the conversation. He said to me, listen, a day will come when you'll want out of it. And on that day, nobody will be able to help you because your heart will be in a situation where it's so hard, so difficult, so discouraged, you just want out. But on that day, if God has called you, 
You will be able to go to God on that day and you'll be able to say in the darkness, God, you called me. You've got to help me. That was good advice. That was good advice because many days have come like that for me. Many days. You see, dear friends, God, whenever he calls, it is supernatural. He grants a desire to serve and to love the lost. It just comes from the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is the lover of sinners. And if the Spirit of Jesus fills you, you will love sinners. It'll just happen. During a prolonged period, over years, I can so vividly remember when I would have been at home on the farm at the time. Again, I attributed it only to the Holy Spirit, but I'm just sharing about the call of God. When I would be driving or working on the farm, suddenly I would become so aware that the Holy Spirit was saying to me, Alan, it's time to pray. You need to pray now. It wasn't something that you would have to wait an hour or you can do it tonight. It was very clear. Now, friends, don't be trying to do it. I can't do it now. I, I couldn't make this happen. It just was what was happening at that time in my life. I attribute it to the Holy Spirit. And I would turn my tractor off, or rather my brother's tractor off, and I would run to a little cabin that was on the farm, and there I would go in. And when I went in, I knew that something was going to happen. I knew it. Because the Holy Spirit had already said to me, it's time to pray. And the Spirit of God would begin to pray through me. Now, I know if you, you might understand that, and it's hard to explain. But the praying was so intense, almost as though you felt your heart was going to literally explode in you. And all I would ever see would be the British Isles. That's all I ever saw. It was like a picture of the British Isles. And all I could see was that the people in their millions were going directly to hell. And I just cannot, I couldn't begin to explain what that experience was. And that happened on a regular basis. I didn't know that it meant to be interceding, praying on behalf of others. I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was part of the arena of praying in the Holy Ghost, where it says in, in the book of Romans chapter 8 and 26, when, when Paul says, we, we know not how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. It was during that season or seasons that God began to assess 
motives. He began to examine me as to not only the sense of the call of God, but inviting me to consider why. You see, you could be in the ministry for all the wrong reasons. You might like to hear your own voice. You might think that you have such a gift that the world's just, you know, it hasn't recognized that you have arrived yet. You might be thinking that, you know, nobody has caught on yet about me and, and there can be so many wrong motives being in the ministry. But the Holy Spirit will bring you to those and if you let him, he'll put you through his mill and he'll deal with that in your heart that you'll come out the other end and just say, Lord, I don't care whether I never preach again. I don't care whatever I'm doing or not doing. If I just become a big fat zero, but if that's the will of God, then that's all that I'm interested in doing the will of God. I don't need the pulpit. I don't need a ministry. I don't need to be recognized. I don't need to be known. All I need to know is that the God who knew me before the earth and has an eternal age for me in the future, that in this boot camp on earth, that I'll just simply do his will. That's all. That's all. The Bible says there that sow in tears shall reap with joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. After a period in college, and I'm going to close very shortly, after a period in college, my health broke down. It was the most difficult period of my life to that point. Couldn't understand it. God had called me. God had provided for me in getting me to the college and now health had broken one year in the college and health falls to pieces. Come home not understanding why, not understanding that this could happen. But it was in that dark period that I asked God to do something because I knew that everybody around me couldn't make head nor tail of me and I understood that. I could hardly make head nor tail of me, never mind anybody else. But the thing that I knew down deep despite the coming home, despite the outward catastrophe and everybody looking on and saying, oh, the weak creator, he got, he got too excited about God and he, he, he just made a blunder and, and he'll settle down and he'll get a job. And I knew that was a legitimate thing to say, but down in my heart, I knew. I knew God had called me. I knew that the creator had called me. I knew that. And it didn't matter if all the world said I was wrong. It didn't matter. I knew it was between me and him. And in the silence and in the brokenness, I said, Lord, 
I don't understand why you've let this happen. But I'm going to ask you to do something just, just Lord, to prove to me that you really called me, that you've, that you've really got something for me in my life, that I haven't made a mistake, but that you still love me and you'll help me. I'm going to ask you, Lord, to look after me. Please provide for me. It'll not take much. I'm living at home. But Lord, what little's needed, just prove to me that you'll look after me, that you'll, you'll feed me, as it were. Not because that's something wonderful, but just because I need that to prove day by day that God really has a plan. And that was back in 19... And I say tonight to the glory of God, as God is my witness, and I've said it many times before, but I'll say it again to his glory, for 35 years I have never had a salary, never had an income, nobody knows the state of my affairs other than my wife occasionally, nobody else. And for 35 years, years. The God that knew me way back there before the earth began. The God that has a plan for me and for so many that I love that are now with him. And one day I'll be there too. My dear friends, in those ages to come, that same God for 35 years on this little thing called earth, this little thing called life, he has met our every need and never once failed. Never once failed. I don't really have debates with atheists. I don't have debates with them. I don't need any debates with them. You get me some atheist or some person, my friends, that can prove that without saying anything, telling anybody, nobody been aware, and for 35 years, just when they need it, that the letter comes through the letterbox. Just when they need certain amount of food, and that food arrives at the door in a box. Just when they need fuel and somebody arrives when you haven't money to put fuel in the car and somebody comes over and puts the fuel in the car for you and tells you they've paid for it. You do that for 35 years, my friend, and see that happen and deny God. God is alive. God is alive. Jesus Christ died and rose again. My dear friends, I have been following him for over 40 years. And it is my desire and the longing of my heart, despite many feelings that have occurred in the interim period, which I haven't alluded to. But it is my desire and longing to follow him the rest of my life. It is my desire and longing that whenever death comes, whether sudden or slow, accident or otherwise, that when death comes over my brow, that I will be singing his praise and thanking him for his blood and his redemption and his grace and praising him that I am going to a city where the roses never fade.
Why wouldn't I follow him? Tell me. Who else would be so good to me? Who else would be such a friend? Who else has died for me and took my sin in their body on the tree? Who else has stood with me in the darkness and in the light? You see this wonderful Lord Jesus that we speak of? He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. There's times when I felt he had forsaken me. There's times when I felt he was gone. But he's always there. He's always there. Dear friends, in closing, I want to say, in regard to the call of God, that God does grant an amazing desire to serve and to love the lost. And I'll give you a confession. I don't often do confessions, but I'll do a confession. There are many times when I'm deeply discouraged. I share it with my wife. I generally don't share it with anybody else. But she bears with me well, and I have a wonderful, wonderful wife. And there are times when I'm so discouraged, I think, oh, if only I could be in a job. If only I could be in a job and just make money and do what others do and just live a simpler life and not have this fight and this conflict and, and these attacks and discouragements and all that comes. And those thoughts come. and They come strong when you're discouraged. They came to Peter and Peter said, I go fishing. I can identify with that. Got discouraged. He said, I'm going fishing. He took off with the boat. But always, listen to me, always, the same Holy Spirit that came into me 40 years ago. He lets me think these things through for a little while. And then he reminds me, but I call you. And then I talk to my wife, and she always kindly reminds me, but if you got into that, if you got that job, if you got that, you wouldn't be in it five minutes till you would say no. No. You see, my dear friends, when God puts something in you, The enemy can throw all the world and his kingdoms at you, but they'll never satisfy. They'll never satisfy. You'll only be happy doing God's will, even when it's difficult. One of the things, and I am closing, one of the things... I'm grateful for, and it's very important if God calls you, especially to the ministry, that is that others notice that you're called. Others notice. I remember doing a meeting many years ago, not far from where I lived. 
And it happened that my late brother and mother were at the meeting, way at the back. I had just gone, I was doing meetings here, I had just gone, I had just done, done the meeting. And when I got home, my mother said to me, your brother and I were speaking, we think God's maybe calling you. That was such a shock to me. I didn't see that coming. Other people would send me verses from the Bible saying that God is calling you. One of the signs that a person has been called is that they are gifted of God and their gifting will minister to the people. It's one of the evidences of the call that the person's life and ministry and anointing under the Holy Spirit will minister to the saints and the saints will sense and feel their hearts being grown and drawing and feeding and they know that it's not the man, it's not the woman, it's not their gifting, it's God. One of the signs of a call. Perhaps there's someone here tonight. God doesn't make mistakes if he keeps the old hairs and you're not here by mistake. Maybe God has a calling on your life. You say, Alan, I'm very busy. Well, that's the type of person God will call a busy person. Say, well, Alan, I'm too old. <laughs> Don't be saying that now. The two old women used in revival were both in their 80s and they saw revival come. Don't be putting up the excuses now. Are you willing? Are you willing? I don't know. It could be, it could be to some kind of full-time ministry. It could be preaching. I don't know. It, it, it could be children's work. There's, there's so many ministries. It could be a missionary to the ends of the earth. I don't know. But the wonderful thing about little gatherings like this is you never know what God will do. And this is the thrill of when we get to the other side because what we didn't find out on earth, we'll find out up there. Last week, my son came in. I was in the study and he came in, in from work. He says to me, did you know so-and-so? He says, I've no idea who you're talking about. He said, I was talking to a guy today and he says he knows you. He said, I don't know him, or I've forgotten. You get my age, I've forgotten. Well, he says, apparently you done a mission in the Independent Methodist Church in Banbridge a number of years ago. Ah, I said, I did, I remember that. Well, he says, this guy got saved, Dad. I said, right. He says he's a missionary in the south of Ireland now. That was great news. Boy, that was better than a tonic. It's better than a tonic. My friend, he that winneth souls is wise. We can all be soul winners for the Bible says that we're all to do the work of the evangelist. Well, what's the big desire? I've said that. I'm like the Peter, I think it is, when he said two or three times, I'm coming to the end, and then he wrote another chapter. I may be talking that next week if I'm spared, I'll see. What was the big thing? What's the big thing? Driving, impelling, compelling, constraining. 
What is it? What is it that's going on inside me? I haven't told you a lot about what I've done because I haven't done anything. Any big ministry? No, there's no big ministry. Sorry, no, no big prayer letters used to be. There's not one anymore because the whole thing's got so small. But what is it all about that? Well, God called me years ago and God spoke to me. He spoke to me through what's called a rhema word. That's, what, that's not just a word of God. That's a word from God to your heart. A rhema word in the Greek language in the New Testament. A rhema. God spoke to my heart. And my friends, I believe with every fiber of my being, with, with, with every atom in me, I believe that there's going to be a great spiritual awakening. I believe that multitudes of people are going to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior in the island of Ireland. I believe that with everything in me. I believe that. That's what really keeps me ticking. Not because I choose that, but because the same Holy Spirit keeps bringing it to life. He just won't let it go. He just keeps bringing it back. Not evangelism, not missions. And by the way, missions are good, just by the way. But not missions, not events, not church activity, not any of that. God coming down in power to visit people, to bring them under terrible conviction of sin, bringing them to the awareness of their lostness and sinfulness in the sight of a holy God, turning them in repentance to receive Christ as Savior and lives be radically transformed from being drunkards to be sober, from being liars to being truth-tellers, to be those who are blasphemers to become preachers of the gospel. That is what I believe. That keeps me going. Well, I think that's enough to keep you going too, isn't it? There is no peace, no joy, no thrill, like walking in his will. For me to live is Christ. To die truly is gain.